What's up, folks? Welcome to the latest episode of the Spirit and Truth podcast. We're actually doing video here, and uh, we're between a fern. I think this is a fern, but in <laughs> honor of uh, Palm Sunday, we're courting. And we have a very, very special guest here today, Dr. R.T. Kendall. Born and raised in the U.S., Dr. R.T. Kendall has uh, recently retired as a minister at Westminster Chapel in London, where he served for 25 faithful years. In conjunction with the 25 years, he has, he has a total of 60 years of experience in ministry. Uh, still in huge demand as a writer and speaker around the world, he's one of the best known and respected Christian leaders and teachers in the UK and globally, to be honest. Dr. Kendall has been married to his wife, Louise, for more than 55 years and have two children and do two grandkids in addition. Dr. Kendall has written a litany of amazing books, his most popular being Total Forgiveness, Sensitivity of the Spirit, and The Anointing. My personal favorite being Holy Fire, I've reread, reread, and recommend it to anyone trying to understand the work and role of the Holy Spirit. That book was a great driving force, to be honest, for me to even launch this podcast in conjunction with Steve and, and gave me a grounded desire and burning itch for people to know the Holy Spirit in that same way. And so uh, that's the title of this episode, Holy Fire, in honor of the book that Dr. Kendall wrote and in honor of the conversation we're going to have. Dr. Kendall, it's a huge pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. One correction. On the 28th of June, we will have been married 64 years. Amazing. 64 years. Incredible. You said, you said 55. 50. We were married <laughs> June, June, June 28th, 1958. That's awesome. Yeah. In Illinois. <laughs> in Illinois. <laughs> there you go. We'll take that. That's amazing. RT, it's just such a, such a privilege for me to see your face, even if it be uh, over Zoom. Honestly, I've shared this, I think I've shared this with you, but just to quickly take a moment just to tell listeners the most incredible moment, my most fond ministry moment was sitting in your office for two days with David and Nate. I think you might remember this, just yeah. having the opportunity to, to ask you any question that we had. And we sat there for two days and at the end of it, you encouraged us just to just to pray and we we acknowledged the presence of the holy spirit and it was such a profound such a profound two days such a profound moment to uh, to unpack the word of god and then to acknowledge the work and ministry and presence of the holy spirit as we were doing that i i have just been profoundly impacted by your ministry and by the example that you that you have set for me and for so many just one last thing to say i mean hearing that, uh, that you've been married for 64 years, that you are faithfully serving the Lord, that you are continuing to be effective as you are, is such an inspiration for someone like me who is in ministry. So before I forget to say it, RT, thank you for, for everything that you have done for, for me and for so many and, and, and your service unto the Lord. You honor me, but it's been a privilege. By the way, we don't live in Hendersonville now. We live in Nashville. Here, look. Oh, it's, you know, so the weather is so bad, you can't tell. There's our view of Nashville. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, maybe the weather will clear up if you see it better. But anyway, we live uh, downtown Nashville now. I just thought you might want to know that. Oh, that's, that's incredible. Awesome. That's cool. awesome. Yeah, I remember we, we met in Hendersonville. So well, hopefully one day we get a chance to, to see one another again and uh, certainly a much sure. easier flight. Before any other questions, because I know there's a large Indian brown audience here listening. And Dr. Kendall, what, what did you say your favorite type of food was uh, by far? Well, if it were my last meal, either chicken tikka masala or king prawn 
tikka masala, but I like rogan josh, bombay alu, bindi bhaji, brinjal bhaji, pillar rice, mango chutney, and I like butter chicken. In fact, probably this Sunday after tomorrow, where I'm preaching here in Nashville on Palm Sunday, I think we might go by the Indian restaurant. Not very good, to be honest, <laughs> because we got, well, the reason, well, they're, they're Indians and they're doing their best, but in London, you get the very best. And by the way, when we go to New York City, next door to Times Square Church is probably the most expensive Indian restaurant on the planet. <laughs> but boy, it's good. When somebody else is paying, somebody else is paying for it, it really tastes good. <laughs> That's amazing. Dr. Kendall, we'll, uh, we'll have to lure you over to Chicago. My family's secret recipe is, uh, is rib curry. And I don't know if you've, uh, you've had that, but <laughs> I don't know about that. It's, it's amazing. Louise likes, uh, onion bodges. That's her favorite onion bodges. <laughs> we love it. A man of faith and a man of culture, you and know, a man of great intelligence and taste. <laughs> I guess to kick things off here, something we've been asking guests is what, what's the Lord been speaking to you in this season? Before we jump into any topics, what do you feel like he's been speaking to you personally? What do you feel like has been going on with the church at large? Yeah, just any, anything around those two topics to, before we jump into the meat and potatoes of the episode. That's a good question. I'm not sure I know. I'm sorry. If you'd asked me two years ago, I would have said the need to bring the Word and Spirit together, and I would still say that. That's kind of like my DNA. Did you know I've, I've got a TV program in London? I'm on four times a week in London. It goes all over the United Kingdom, South Africa. Well, yeah, you can get me in South Africa on TBN, and the program is called Word and Spirit. So that's my DNA. All he, If you want the truth, the honest transparent, vulnerable truth. The only thing I get from the Lord these days, wait. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, thanks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's not easy to do. But I've written a book called We've Never Been This Way Before. Did you pick that one up, Steve? Yes, sir. It's on on the way. I can't wait to receive it. Well, that's my take on COVID. Mm. You see, I take the view that America is under judgment mm. for racism, legalized abortions, same-sex marriage, and liberalism in pulpits. And uh, I think God's really angry. I, I mean angry with America. So angry that he's not speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the angrier God is, the longer he waits to show it. He doesn't lose his temper like people. He just does. You don't know what he's thinking. I take the view. I hope I'm right. But the next thing to happen on God's calendar is not the second coming, but the awakening of the church just before. Wow. That's what I have thought. I've learned, and it's what I have believed. I've written a book on it called uh, "Are You Ready for the Midnight Cry?" But in the last few months, I just—he's not speaking to me. Like I would, well, he gives me assurance that he loves me and things like that. But I'm, I don't know. Unless you go by my book, Prophetic Integrity, I think God is, 
I don't know what your view is. I'll go ahead and you can question me. I think God is fed up with the prophetic movement in America. I think he is mm. disgusted. I don't think they're speaking for God at all. They're like in 1 King 17, where God said, I will send a lying spirit. And that's what's happened to all these prophetic people. They said, uh, Donald Trump will win. God told them. And then when he asked them what happened, they said, well, the, the Democrats stole the election. I said, well, why didn't God tell you that that was going to happen? Mm. In other words, but anyway, I've written a whole book. When it comes out in a few weeks, in fact, uh, I look for my copy any day now. I'm starting to ramble. I'll stop. No, no, no. You're not rambling at all. This is really, this is really interesting and insightful. What, um, when you say that the Lord is saying to wait, do you have any sense as to what you might be waiting for? Or? Good question. I know what I hope it means. Mm-hmm. The awakening of, of, of the church uh, in America? Well, if, I would say two things, parallel. One, personal. 20 years ago, do you know the name John Paul Jackson? Yes, very well. Yeah, he, he died uh, five or six years ago. We were very, very good friends. I talk about him, by the way, in my book, Prophetic Integrity. John Paul Jackson, 20 years ago, gave me the two of the best words, I call them the best, the most encouraging I've ever had. One is, he said, RT, you will live to a ripe old age. But if you don't get in shape physically, you're not going to be around to enjoy it. Well, he put the fear of God in me. <laughs> I was 66 years old when he said that. I'm now 86. So I'd, I'd say that it's been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. What you wouldn't know is that I immediately started losing weight, got a trainer. Did you know that, well, you wouldn't know until I tell you, I this morning did 21 push-ups. Yesterday, 21. Day before, 21. I've done push-ups for the last 15, 16 years, every day, every day. And I give John Paul the credit. The other word to me was, he he gave me a word. I don't think I should give you the details. Don't mind if we run out of things to talk about. But in a word, God hasn't finished with me yet Mm. at all. It's wrong to believe him. But, you know, after 20 years, you think maybe he got that one wrong. Mm-hmm. It's it's a word that kind of kept me going. And when I say the only thing I get is wait. And the other is the things that I have preached, like in the book, we've never been this way before. I take the view that what we're going through is going to lead to the next awakening. and But there's no evidence at all. Mm. And But in my reading this very morning, you know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, you know the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Mm. What that means is you're not going to get a warning. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought maybe God would give me a tap on the shoulder and say, RT, I'll just give you a heads up. Nobody else knows this but you. Uh, in a couple of days from now, I'm going to do this. Nothing. Mm. Nothing. So I don't have any ins- insight or secret information. And But I think God is up to something. I think it's huge. Mm. But I'm telling you what I honestly believe, but I can't prove it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I've 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 heard that from a lot of people that God's God's about to do something big, and that we just need to, the eyes to see and the ears to hear. 
mm-hmm. uh, what it's about to be. So that's totally in line. I mean, really big. <laughs> Beyond mm-hmm. anything. I mean, greatest outpouring since Pentecost. Wow. And, and it's going to go all over the world. Church will be awakened. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. And you see, the midnight cry in Matthew 25, verse 6, most people hastily assume that the midnight cry and the coming of the bridegroom are simultaneous. Mm-hmm. No. The cry woke up the church, mm-hmm. and later the bridegroom came. Mm-hmm. People forget. And the word midnight comes from a Greek word that means middle of night. Mm. It's not talking about 12 o'clock midnight. It's talking about metaphorically when the church is in a deep, deep sleep expecting nothing. Mm. Wow. And that's when the cry is going to go. How that's going to come about, I don't know. Mm. I've speculated, but I... That would, I don't think it would be good, indulgent, unprofitable speculation. But I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm waiting just like you are. Mm-hmm. RT, when you, when you anticipate the awakening of the church, I don't want to kind of get caught up in semantics, but throughout church history, there's been different understandings of the word awakening and revival. And my sense, my understanding is awakening is what happens to the church before revival, which happens to cities, nations, regions, when when there is a, a large quantity of, of people flocking into the kingdom of God. Do you sense both, that both the awakening of the church and revival yeah, amongst cities? Yeah. yeah, you're right. It's semantics. But what needs to happen, you take what happened on July 8, 1741. Jonathan Edwards preached his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Mm -hmm. The effect of that sermon went all over New England in days. It crossed the Atlantic into England in weeks. And to this very day, it's the most historic moment of any single sermon in the history of the church since the Sermon on the Mount. It was a warning of hell to come. And the Holy Spirit came down with such power that people were holding on to tree trunks mm. to keep from falling into hell. God only did it once, mm. but it spread all over. It's what we call the New England Awakening. Mm-hmm. In other words, it wasn't just the church. Mm-hmm. Everybody was affected. So I think that's just a microcosm of what will happen. How it will happen, I do not know, but it will be an undoubted call. The church will be shaken, and it will spread all over, and it can happen in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. RT, this is a this is fascinating. So let me let me ask you this, in a personal capacity, and also as as we help to lead Anthem Church, how do we respond? How do we get ready, both personally? So the Lord is telling you to wait. How, how are you uh, waiting in scripture is always an active is always an active word. What do you believe the Lord is calling you? What do you believe the Lord is calling us to do as we wait for his outpouring? Well, as someone put it, while we wait, we can worship. Mm-hmm. And I think while we wait, be faithful. I would urge people to read their Bibles, to pray. 
I ask wherever I go, how much do you pray? How much time have you got for God? Mm-hmm. Praying is never wasted time. Reading your Bible is never wasted time. Most people don't know their Bibles. They don't read their Bibles. Mm-hmm. And I would urge everybody to have a Bible reading plan. Spend time with God. Have a prayer list. And this is what we can do while we wait. Mm-hmm. Got a lot more. Just walk in the light. If he gives you a nudge, obey what he tells you to do. But there's not much else. Mm-hmm. As the psalmist put it, Lord, it's time for you to act. Mm. And all we can do is just keep saying that Mm. and wait and wait and wait. It's funny you say, um, someone said, while we wait, we worship. I use that that all the time in my preaching, and I always preface it with, R.T. Kendall told me that while we wait, we should (laughs) worship. (laughs) Have I got it wrong all these years? I got it from somebody else, so don't quote me. Uh, little do you guys know is from Nathan Thomas. <laughs> Dr. Kendall, to, to pivot over here real quick, I would love to hear about your testimony and specifically how the Holy Spirit was a pivotal role in that. In reading Holy Fire, I loved that chapter that you dedicated to your testimony. And specifically, I was hoping you could highlight what took place on October 31st, 1955, when you were driving back from Nashville and praying in your car. I'll tell you something funny. <laughs> I don't know that you can see it. Tell me if you can see this. Uh huh. The highway. The highway. You see that street? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's the street that goes right into Nashville. Mm-hmm. Would you believe it is US forty one? Now, why is that important? Well, October thirty first, nineteen fifty five. I was on my way back from Palmer, Tennessee, where I was pastor of a church, to Nashville on old US-41. Wow. I had no idea when we bought this flat, I was going to be on the very route (laughs) where my life was changed. I put that in chapter seven. One person wrote and said, I wish you'd have made it chapter one. (laughs) I said, well, I was warned if I make it chapter one, it'll put everybody off and they won't even read the book. (laughs) So I made it chapter seven. I can give you the quick version or give you... I, I don't want to waste your time, but no, no, no. Much- Details, everything, everything you remember. I, I would love, love to hear all of it, and and just the fruit of that, because like you said, it was from reading your book. It was a before and after. There's a very stark difference in your life and ministry after that. Well, you got that right. Okay, I remember it was six thirty in the morning on a Monday morning. Usually, I would come back from my church on set Sunday nights. For some reason, I left. Early that day, coming down old US 41 from Mont Eagle, Tennessee, come to the bottom and driving just a mile or two. I could take you to the spot. In fact, I've taken people there. Wow. I had one man from Australia wanted to see where it was, as it was right here. Wow. All right, what happened? I'm pleading with the Lord, and he seemed a million miles away. And I was in agony, Lord, what's going on? Please talk to me. Please answer. When all of a sudden, while I'm driving, there to my right is Jesus interceding for me, caring more about me than I care for myself, Mm. and saying to the Father, I want you to give what he's asking for. And I never felt such love. You know, there's praying and there's praying. I mean, he was interceding. It was 
I've had people question me, do you have, is there any Bible for this? All I know is I'm telling you what I saw. The next thing I remember was an hour later, and I could take you near the area. It was coming through uh, Smyrna, Tennessee, about 20 miles, 10 miles out of Nashville. And I heard the voice of Jesus say to the Father, he wants it. The voice replied, he can have it. And in that moment, it's like liquid fire went into my chest. A warmth. I mean, it was, <laughs> I could feel warmth in my chest. Never in my life had I had such peace. It wasn't just the absence of anxiety. I mean, it was a presence of joy. Mm. I didn't know anybody on this planet could have anything like that. And for about 30 seconds, it's hard to know the timing, maybe a minute, maybe. There was the face of Jesus looking at me. People say, what did he look like? But I can tell you this. What I saw was his eyes and his nose. I can tell you what his nose looked like. I've only met one other person in the last 60 years that had a nose just like that. I would know it if I saw it. I could see his eyes and nose. That's all I saw. I couldn't tell if he had long hair, if he was wearing a robe. But that's what I, I saw. Languid eyes looking at me and then disappeared. It was now 10 minutes till 8. It started at 6.30 in the morning. It's now 10 minutes till 8. I parked my car, go to my dormitory room of student Rebecca Nazarene College, now university, shaved, go to my class 8 o'clock in the morning, and I sit there in class and I think, what was that? Mm. And all day long, it's all I could think about. What was that? And my closest friend, around 4 or 5 o'clock, that day said, R.T., what has happened to you? I said, well, something has happened. He said, I know. He said, I could see it across the campus. I saw it on your face. He said, there was a glow. What was it? I said, I don't know. Hmm. I only know one thing. I'm saved. Wow. Saved? Well, of course you're saved. Well, I said, no, you don't understand, Bill. I'm eternally saved. What do you mean by that? I cannot be lost, no matter what I do, between now and when I die. Mm. Well, that's an extreme statement. You'll change your mind on that. I said, I bet I don't. Mm-hmm. I knew I wouldn't. Never have. Nobody can understand how real it was back there. I don't care what I do. I'm going to heaven. Mm. I was unconditionally, eternally saved. And well, that put him off. All I, yeah, I'm answering his question. Hours later, I came to see the sovereignty of God, that it was a work of the Spirit. You cannot hasten it. There's not anything you can do to make another person have this. Totally of God. And that's when the doctrine of the election and predestination opened up to me. This is on the same day. And I thought, what am I seeing here? Does anybody else believe this? I thought, am I the first since the Apostle Paul to see this? Mm. I thought I discovered something new. (laughs) All I know is that over the years, I still think about it, I was just miraculously, supernaturally transferred from my Wesleyan Arminianism to historic Calvinism, 
And I, I had never read a book on Calvin or about Calvin. All I was told is that the teaching is of the devil. <laughs> and uh, so it was months and months, months later, I realized what God had done. I, I still, you know, talk about it like it just happened yesterday. Mm. So it not only changed my life inwardly, it gave me an awareness how real God is. And I mean real. All that we teach is true. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Don't tell me he didn't rise from the dead. I've seen him. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, he's alive. And it's been a lonely world because I didn't convince one Nazarene of my teaching, not one. Mm -hmm. I end up at Westminster Chapel. I never try to make people Calvinists. After their eight, their 18 months, that's what they are, but they don't know it. So I've never you know, wore this on my sleeve. But I am reformed in my thinking. I've kept this openness to the Holy Spirit. That's all I can remember to tell you. But if you ask questions, I might think of something else. Yeah, Dr. Kendall, just on that last thought there, I grew up in a background which was heavily cessationist, which I'm hoping you can define here in a bit. But in, in conjunction with that, I grew up in a, a reformed background. And I remember I, uh, I, I commented on a YouTube video or something. I said, yeah, I'm a reformed charismatic. And somebody goes... How is that even possible? That that sounds like an oxymoron. Do you think that those two kind of go at odds and, and even just the definition of reform? Oh, no, no, <laughs> no. They don't make sense without each other. The opposite. It's the opposite. My goodness. I'll tell you what. I challenge anybody to read John Calvin, but don't tell them who they're reading. And just say, I want you to read the most interesting charismatic theologian I've ever come across, and don't tell them who it is. And you read Calvin on faith and the Holy Spirit, you would swear he's a charismatic. Mm. You, would, you wouldn't know. I'm telling you now. It's just because of people's bias. If they were told who it was, they wouldn't read it. They, the, the two go together perfectly. I can't understand why a charismatic is not a Calvinist. Mm. Wow. And, of course, the trouble with most Calvinists they're trinities, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Mm. And they have no awareness of the immediate and direct witness of the Spirit. And that brings us to the book Holy Fire, because I deal with Dr. Lloyd-Jones' teaching on the immediate and direct witness. By the way, the people that read that book, they don't know they're getting undiluted Calvinism. <laughs> I wrote the book to, to defend the view that God still works today. My publisher asked me to answer John MacArthur, so I did. And that's what the book's about. Mm. But any Calvinist reading it should not be afraid of it, but some of them are because they, you know, they're terrified of the thought of being charismatic, and there's a stigma to it, and I don't like it myself. RT, you started the podcast with a statement that the remarriage, as it were, of word and spirit has, is in your DNA. Is it in your DNA because of what happened on that night? Or is it something that you slowly kind of grew to understand the reuniting again of word and spirit? I've heard you talk about the great divorce in the church between those who are of the word and those who are of the spirit. Is this, is this passion, is this DNA for a reuniting of word and spirit? Has, has that been something since that, since that night? Well, it certainly goes back to that date. I'll tell you how it happened. In 1991, 
the prophetic person known as Paul came, came to London, wanted to meet me. We met. And when I heard him talk, I said, Paul, you need my theology. I need your power. Hmm. He said, you've got a deal. And that's when the idea of Word and Spirit was kind of birthed. And we had our word, first Word and Spirit conference in the Wembley Conference Center, October 1992. And so the idea of Word and Spirit grew from then on. I kept pretty quiet about the experience that I've told you. You see, when I ran into Calvinists a year after I had this experience, they were all very suspicious of me. And I would tell them what happened to me. They said, well, that can't happen because God doesn't do that today. Mm. Well, I said, he did it with me. And I said, look, look what it led me to. I believe what you believe. Where do you think I got that? <laughs> I never read it in my life. And so, But it was I was a problem for them and have been to this day. How do you think the church is currently doing in the reuniting of word and spirit? Where do you think the church is at? A long way off. Mm -hmm. You see, in England, strange as it may seem, the charismatic movement is mainstream mm -hmm. because the Archbishop of Canterbury speaks in tongues. Mm -hmm. But in America, charismatic movement is a lunatic fringe. People are afraid of it. There is some hope, some, that my book, Prophetic Integrity, comes out in a few days, will help unite the church. I got the endorsement of Dr. Jack Graham, pastor of the largest Southern Baptist church in America, 25,000 members. Mm. He endorsed my book. Mm. And because of him, maybe Baptists and, and Calvinists will read it. Charismatics are going to be afraid of it because I, I go for them. Mm -hmm. And I say to them, your prophetic movement, not a lot at all. Mm. God's not even with you. He's deserted you. Well, they don't want that. Mm. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Have me back in six months and see, see what the fallout <laughs> was from that book. Dr. Kendall, I'd, I'd love to hear what you think. Now that you're on the other side as a Reformed Charismatic, what would you say is the biggest obstacle on both sides? You know, if you're, if you're heavy on the Charismatic side, what do you think the biggest obstacles are to becoming sound in the word if you're on that that if you're heavy in the word what's what's the obstacle to understanding the holy spirit I, I just want to quote something here real quick from from your book it was one of the first quotes i was hoping you could unpack it too and you say in page two you say to understand the bible you must be on good terms with the holy spirit he wrote the bible he alone can open your mind to understand his word when we grieve the holy spirit through bitterness or quench him through fear the inevitable result is an inability to focus on his word. Well, what I said that. What do you want me to say now? <laughs> <laughs> but just when I read that, I was I, I think I was like, oh, wow, I, I never thought about it that way. That I, I mean, you go on to say later that cessationism is quenching the spirit. I mean, could you just unpack this idea of of how that might be? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about cessationists who would strongly disagree with that with that statement how, how would you help them understand the importance of the holy spirit well first of all with typical calvinists they have no concept of inheritance 
they would say inheritance is getting to heaven. They don't realize that inheritance is used in a different way. Uh, it can, in one or two places, mean heaven, but it mainly means what God has called us to do while on our way to heaven. For example, the epistle to the Hebrews is all about these Christians to come into their inheritance. Like in ancient Israel, their inheritance was the promised land. But for Christians today, the inheritance is coming into the rest of faith, Hebrews 4. It's what brings one to an intimate relationship with God. Most Calvinists, sadly, sadly, don't feel any need to be real close to God because you're in or you're out. If you're saved, you're going to go to heaven. That's it. I say we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body. And there are those Calvinists, and I'm afraid a lot of them, they don't believe in any kind of reward. They're nervous about any teaching like that. And I think that needs to be revived with Calvinists. When it comes to charismatics, you can't tell them they don't have theology because they would say, of course we do. Or if I say to them, you don't know your Bible, well, they say, well, that's all we preach is the Bible. Mm. The truth is, They've got minimal theological understanding. Now, I'll tell you something else. Do you realize that charismatics today are overtaken largely by open theism? Mm. It was a teaching used to be known as liberalism, almost atheism. And then they gave it a Christian name. And uh, it was introduced by... Fuller Theological Seminary 30, 40 years ago by a well-known person who's now in heaven. I guess he's in heaven. I hope he is. I'm telling you. <laughs> he taught what is called open theism. Namely, that God is open to us to know what to do. Mm. God does not know the future, but he looks to us for input uh, to know what to do. And so this idea of name it and claim it, the idea is you proclaim something. You you say, yes, this is it, and then say it's of God. And that's what these people do. We want Donald Trump to win. We claim it. We claim him. Yes, Lord, he's your man. Therefore, we prophesy he will win. What's well, nonsense? Mm. He didn't win. Mm. And Or even if he did, why didn't God tell him he would you know, be overcome by Democratic votes? Whatever. They don't hear from God. They want something, and they call it from God, and that is overtaken the charismatic movement. Chapter 9 of my book, Prophetic Integrity, deals with that subject, open theism, and you'll be shocked to read it, to realize this is typical thinking of charismatics today. So they're almost entirely devoid of sound theological thinking. Wow. Yeah, Dr. Ken, so the hope of the podcast is to bridge people. And I, I know a lot of our listener audience is, to be honest, uh, is heavy on the reform side and venturing into the things of the spirit or the charismatic camp, for lack of better words. I can't imagine that some of them are thinking this and saying, oh, this is why we stay away from, you know, the charismatic group altogether. To that group, could you, what, what would your exhortation be to someone who is staunchly reformed and not wanting to enter into the things of the spirit out of fear of hypercharismaticism, out of fear of losing grounding in the word or just plain out the weird things that 
happen, I put weird in quotes, what, what would you, what would your advice or exhortation be to people that are in that category or group, which I know a lot of our listeners are? Well, it's so simple that you probably be sorry you asked. And I've already mentioned it once since we've been talking. It's so simple. I would say to them, whether reformed or charismatic, how much do you read your Bible? Mm. Do you have a Bible reading plan? Mm. Over 40 years ago, Martin Lloyd-Jones introduced me to Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading plan. I can say to you that I've read the Bible through New Testament twice. I would say I've read the Bible over 45 times, New Testament 90 times, Psalms 90 times. Mm. Most people don't have a plan. They just, if when they do, they pick up the Bible and say, oh, let's see, what shall I read today? Oh, well, try Ezekiel chapter 40 mm. or something, whatever they turn to. No plan at all. And then worse, how much time do you pray? Martin Luther prayed two hours a day. John Wesley prayed two hours a day. Most church leaders, four minutes a day. Mm. And you wonder why the church is powerless. And so, same message to both. And I don't change my message whether I am in Singapore, Seoul, Korea, South America, South Africa, or London. It's the same. And I'm telling you, they all need it. There are not so many coveting a close relationship with God. And so those, whether they're reformed or not, who want to spend more time with God, I would start there. I was asked yesterday, how do I preach this to my church? Because he had an evangelical church. And I said, how much do you pray? <laughs> I put him on the spot. Mm. How close are you wanting to get to God? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have this, how are you going to convey it to your people? Yeah. This is my message to both of you. I was, I'm not asking for an answer, mm. but how much do you read your Bible? Mm. How much do you pray? It comes down to your own personal relationship with God. And when this becomes more real and more wonderful than anything in the world, it's going to show when you preach, when you talk, simple as that. Mm. When I was at Westminster, I tried to pray two hours a day. And now that I'm retired, I would say I probably pray pretty close between one or two hours a day, mm. starting today. I not only do push-ups, I follow through with all the scripture. I have a prayer list. Many, many, many people on it. They don't know they're on it. You know, God likes our company. These are the things that make all the difference. So it's, it's, I'm not speaking theory to you guys. Mm. I'm telling you what we need if we want to see God move. Mm. Now, he's going to show up one day. I really believe that. It's going to expose the wise and the foolish. Mm. Foolish virgins took no oil. The wise did. They were all asleep. Mm. All of them. And the thing about sleep, you don't know you were asleep until you wake up. Mm. And then when you wake up, you think, I can't believe I was asleep. Wow. Yesterday morning, Louise said, you just slept an hour. I didn't know I'd fallen asleep sitting in this chair. It's just the way it is. You don't know you were asleep until you wake up. Mm. And the thing is, you dream of doing things that you wouldn't do if you were awake. Mm-hmm. And so the church in, a, in their slumber do things they wouldn't do if they were awake. Mm-hmm. You know, so when, when the awakening comes, it will expose whether wise or foolish. Mm. It's amazing. <laughs> 
Mm -hmm. Kendall, we're going to land this episode and then we're going to put out a part two on unforgiveness where uh, we would love to hear your topics on that and and maybe just close some loops on on that. Yeah, for for the listeners who are listening in, tune in for part two with Dr. Kendall. Uh, We're going to land this episode for now. Mm. Cannot wait to speak to you again, uh, RT. It's been an absolute privilege. It really has been.